That's DJ Khaled featuring T.I., Akon, Birdman, and a reggaeton horn. I'm Kylie McDaniel. This is Fangraphs Audio. The guest on this week's edition of Fangraphs Audio is MLB.com's Jim Callis, making his yearly pre-draft appearance. Yes, his yearly pre-draft appearance. Jim endeavors with myself to analyze all the draft. What follows, insofar as it can, is regarding the aforementioned draft vis-a-vis verbal tics you would expect to hear from one Carson Sestouli. Again, I'm Kylie McDaniel, and we take it over. Enjoy. Not much. Watching a little Stanley Cup here. I got that on the background, trying to make a draft phone calls and getting draft writing done. Yeah, well, I'm uh, I'm raised in Tampa, and I guess you're currently in Chicago, so we're facing. I am, up. yeah. So it's uh, one nothing. Are you watching the game? Yeah, I got it on uh, mute in the background. I'm still kind of amazed about that first goal. I've seen deflections. I've played hockey. I've tried to do that stuff. I've never seen it happen like that in a game before. Man, that was that was an amazing deflection. I will say, uh, I think this is the third year we've done this, and last year some people got mad because we talked about 24 too much at the beginning. Well, that won't be a problem this year. So. <laughs> well, so I feel like I have to ask, is there another show that you're into that we should dis- disappoint people by talking about? Um... No, I mean, it seems like a lot of shows I watched were on USA, and they've, like, gone by the wayside, like, burn notice and white collars, so not as much TV. I have not, not watched Game of Thrones, nothing against it. I just haven't found the time. Yeah, you know, it's never watched Mad Men, never watched The Wire, never watched Breaking Bad. Uh, I don't think I watch any chic shows anymore. Well, we, we have found the common ground here. Uh, I am also a white-collar fan, to the point that the uh, one of the stations on my cable replays it like eight or nine episodes in a row on Mondays, and I usually watch it while I'm working. Yeah, it's very watchable, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what it is. I guess it's something about criminals. I just, I'm interested in it. I don't know. You know what's weird? I was watching a random Seinfeld the other day, and it was the one where um, Elaine gets her, like, bizarro group of, like, alternate Jerry, Kramer, and um, George, but they're all well-adjusted, kind, uh, generous people. Um <laughs> And the bizarro Jerry is uh, the guy who played Peter on White Collar. Oh yeah, I have. I really and it, it was really weird. It's like I was like, wow, I did not realize that's who that was. Yeah, you know, obviously I didn't know about White Collar when I watched Seinfeld, but it was just very odd watching him be like bizarro, well-adjusted Jerry. Well, they had a lot. I mean, they had Brian Cranston and uh, some other people were, uh, I guess, pretty high-profile guest stars on the show. That when you're watching the reruns, you're like, oh, I guess that's what they were doing then. Yeah. All right, well, I guess reluctantly we'll get into the draft stuff now. Yep. Uh, so I've been told and have said that it appears this draft, as far as just, like, comparing it to other draft classes, it it lacks that, like, uh, glut of top-tier elite guys. There's, like, two of them, depending on who you talk to, instead of five or six. Uh, but then everything sort of beyond that is about the same. Is that kind of the way you see it? Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I mean, you know, it seems... For whatever reason, I don't know if somebody's trying to get a fall a bit, like, there's a little bit more naysaying even on Brendan Rodgers as, as the draft approaches. I don't know if that's teams picking a little bit lower, you know, wishfully thinking they'll get to him. And, I, you know, I think Dansby Swanson's going to go number one. But, you know, I think that's, that's really the result. You, you mean, I don't know about your preseason list, Kylie, but, like, our preseason list, we had Aiken, you know, Brady Aiken and Michael Matchwell were two and three. I think Matchwell was two and Aiken was three. Nathan Kirby was up there pretty high. 
Colby Allard was up there pretty high. I mean, I think those, I think all four of those guys were in our top six or seven prospects, and they're all huge question marks because they got hurt. And I think that really took a lot of steam out of the draft. But you know, I don't think this would have been, uh, you know, uh, you know, people would have been raving about the talent in the draft if those guys stayed healthy. But when I hear, oh, it's a bad draft, I mean. One, I think, do you think, I mean, don't you hear that every year? Well, at least scouts yeah. wishing there was more talent, you know, and it's just, you know, they, I think it's the product that the teams are so aggressive at signing guys out of high school that, you know, the college crops aren't what they used to be, you know, 20 years ago when, when guys would go to college more often. Um, but, you know, I do think there's talent in the draft. You know, I do think, you know, I'll admit if I wasn't picking one or two, I'd probably prefer to be picking. 10 or 15 than I would at 5, but I think there's talent, and I think in any draft, you know, we could do a podcast five years from now, and we'll say, man, you know, kind of hard to believe that guy was there on the board in the fifth round when you look at what he's become. So, I mean, there'll there'll be talent there. It's just, I think it's a tough year for the teams at the top. Yeah, I regret to inform you, podcasts won't exist in five years, but it's it's a quaint notion to (laughs) think that those still exist. Um, so, and I guess, uh, an example of that, like, I have Bregman in my top five, both on my board and where I think he's gonna go in the draft. And, I mean, I think anyone will have him in, like, the top six. I think we do too, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think he goes in the top ten most years. I feel like he'd be a, like, in maybe eight to fifteen kind of guy. Is that, I mean, do you get that feel also? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you could. I mean, like, I don't think last year was a very great draft, but I think if Bregman was in last year's draft, he would go eight to fifteen. And, Conversely, I mean, I've said I don't think he would go one-one, but Aaron Nola, who went seventh last year, I think if he was in this draft, would maybe have a shot at going one-one, and I think he'd probably be the first pitcher drafted. Um, no, I think that's fair. I think even I like Dansby Swanson, but I'm not sure if Dansby Swanson's in last year's draft. I don't think he would have been a top three pick. I mean, the Cubs, I you know, might have taken him over Schwarber at four, but. You know, I don't think Dansby Swanson would have gone in the top three. Uh, I'm not even sure. I like Brendan Rodgers. I'm not sure Brendan Rodgers would have gone in the top three. I don't think he would have, the teams that picked one, two, three and took Aiken Colk and Rodon would have taken him. Um, and, you know, like, like go past Bregman. I mean, right now, as we're recording this, I think Bregman might even be the number two pick in the draft. Um, you know, number three pick, you know, you got Rodgers, Swanson, Bregman could be the top three picks in some order. I'd probably say Swanson, Bregman, Rodgers would be my best guess right now. So that leaves the Rangers at four. Uh, you know, I don't have great feel for the Rangers. If I had a gun to my head, I might guess Dylan Tate right now. I don't think Dylan Tate goes in the top seven last year. Do you? No, and that was actually one of my questions was, is there a team in the top ten? I, I feel like we both have uh, a number of, you know, sort of names connected at each spot. But I feel like there's a couple spots in the top ten. I'm wondering if you have the same ones. Where you know the three names or the four names that you think would be the ones they're deciding from, but it's basically throwing darts trying to pick which one of those four they're actually going to take. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think. Well, I mean, I think at the top of the draft, I kind of feel like Dansby Swanson would go one. I think he's going to go one. I think he'd go two if he's there. I think he'd go three if he's there. I feel like the White Sox are going to probably take a college pitcher. It's just a matter of which one gets to him. I think they'll get at least one shot at. Tate, Fulmer, or Jay, who I think are probably the consensus top three. Yeah. Maybe two of those guys will be on the board. Um, you know, the, the tough ones are like Texas, 
I don't even know if I'd say I have three names for Texas. I've just heard a bunch of names there. It feels like the Cubs, I've heard about 15 different names, it seems. And, yep. you know, for the ninth pick. You know, Boston, you know, Boston's one of those where it seems like, I don't think they'll get a shot at Bregman, but it seems like the realistic for them would be some combination of Bregman, Fulmer, and Benintendi. Uh, so that, that, that kind of fits that scenario. I, I don't know. It still seems very fluid. I, I feel like if you, I don't know if you feel the same way. Like, I could probably give you eight names I think are pretty certain to go in the top ten, and then, like, kind of three or four candidates for the other two picks. But, like, which team winds up with which guy? Not, not so sure about that. Yeah, and I in my last mock draft, I pointed out that uh, I think everyone tends to agree Swanson will go one, although that's not necessarily settled at this point. Uh, and then I had two through nine with the same players in, like, seven different orders, and I basically said Bregman at two or Rodgers at two sort of would set off a slightly different order because some of these teams prefer some of them, some of these guys, and then prefer, don't prefer other guys. And then there's a couple teams, like, it seems like the Cubs and the Red Sox are on the same players, but then the White Sox in between those two teams are on different players. And so you can almost say, like, you know, you can narrow it down to a few guys per team, but then say if two or three goes a certain way, then it'll sort of shuffle those names around. But, yeah, I agree. I think I think there's a top eight or nine guys that will go in those top ten or eleven picks. Uh, but I think right after – I don't know if that's a tier or if it's just sort of the way things settled with what those teams are looking for. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I feel like right behind that, right around 12 or 13, it gets to where there's, you know, 15 guys for the next 20 picks and you have no idea what order they're going to go in. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I, mean, I think looking at the top ten, I think the three shortstops are going to be gone. You know, Dansby Swanson, Brendan Rodgers, and uh, Alex Bregman. I think the the three college pitchers, I think, are the consensus top three. Whatever order you have them, you know, Carson Filmer, Dylan Tate, Tyler J. I think they're going to be gone. And I think, I don't think it's, I think those six, I'd be shocked if any of them got past ten. And I don't think these two guys are locks, but I'm fairly certain that Kyle Tucker and Daz Cameron go in the top ten. Yeah. And then after that, you know, I think there's more uncertainty. I think John Harris could, but I don't think it's a lock. I think Andrew Benatendi could. I don't think it's a lock. I think Tyler Stevenson could maybe go to the Phillies. I don't know if I see him really going higher than that, but it's not a lock. Um, you know, and, you know, there's certainly a possibility that, that, you know, any number of guys could go in the top, you know, probably 10 or come up with another 10 guys that could, could fill those last two spots in the top 10. Yeah, and I'd, I'd throw in Ian Happ and maybe Trenton Clark and Garrett Whitley seem to be that sort of next couple guys right there. And, yeah, I I tend to agree on all those guys. I think those three shortstops, those three pitchers, and then Tucker and uh, Cameron, the two high school outfielders, you can block out those uh, those eight and expect, you know, you could say they're going to go in the top eight, but I think you could reasonably say the top ten or eleven, you know. Since, I, again, I guess one of the other uh, sort of theories a lot of the directors have been throwing at me is since there's so little consensus and the talent sort of drops off a little earlier than usual, they think there's going to be a lot of deals. And I think typically if, you know, let's say somebody cuts a deal a million and a half below slot at, you know, 14th or 15th overall, right around there when we're talking about this tier of talent kind of goes off the board, we usually don't know about that ahead of time. Like I don't think anyone knew Hunter Dozier was going to go really high. So do you think there's going to be a sort of drastic uh, deal, sort of moving a guy up a little higher than his talent would dictate in that sort of 15 to 25 area? I think we hear that every year, like, and I think it's sometimes it's optimistic from clubs. I mean, I believe it. It's like, you know, at fourteen or fifteen, if you're saving a million and a half, you're signing a guy for like one point three million dollars. I don't think we'll see anything that drastic. I mean, I, I think I think it'll be like I think it'll be like every year for the most part in, in that spot. 
in that st- stance, Kylie. I, I just think if you have an opportunity, you like a guy like more than the industry does, and you're elevating him, you can kind of deal with that guy. But like, I, I don't feel like if I'm picking seven, eight, nine, ten, or you, let's say the top eight guys are gone in the top ten or eleven picks. You know, whoever in Miami, I'll use Miami as an example, their slot's about $3 million at 12. I mean, they maybe can save a little money, but, like, I don't think they're going to be able to do something drastic because unless they're just, you know, pushing a guy up 10 or 15 spots, I think they're going to, you know, find a guy. The guy they're looking at is probably a guy who's pushing up 14, 15. And, you know, the agents are pretty good this, too. They generally have a feel for where their guys are going. So, I mean, I've heard that some, but I feel like I hear that every year. Like, oh, you know, we're going to be able to cut deals left and right. I don't think that's the case as much as, you know, maybe if you have two or three guys you like the same, you look funny, but I think that's always true also. Yeah, and going back to what you said before, I I don't know why, but it seems like scouts always uh, round down on the talent. I think it's just easier to say, oh, this year sucks, there's not enough guys, they're, you know, it's a down year for talent. And I think when you say that, for whatever reason, scouts always tend to say that, uh, you're going to then go to, oh, there's going to be a lot of deals because, you know, it's sort of a way to – you know, talk about, uh, you know, certain things or the, you know, the CBA is a little bit different or who are some guys that might sneak up or whatever. But I think if those happen, we usually don't know ahead of time. And I think they happen less often than people think they do. Like I said, that's kind of a wishful thing. I mean, I do think, you know, the number one pick, I don't think there's an $8.6 million player in the draft. And I don't think there's a $7.4 million for Houston at two. But, you know, like, you know, just using a couple guys as an example, you mentioned Trent Clark and Garrett Whitley, and I think they could go in the top ten. I think they're probably going to go, you know, probably more in that 11 to 20 range, you know, probably on the higher end of that. And you might be able to take a deep discount with those type of guys because maybe if you try to drive a hard bargain with one of them, then, you know, the going to know, hey, you know, you don't like the guy that, you know, there's two teams picking in the next four picks behind you to do, so I don't, you know, I don't have to take a deep discount. And, you know, I'll tell you what I will be interested in, Kylie, is if, if Dansby Swanson does go number one, I, I, I do, I don't know if you feel the same way, I, I do think Houston would take him at two, and I do think the Rockies would take him at three. The same agency that Brendan Rodgers has, so this, uh, those guys are going to know what's going on with Rodgers, too. I, I don't know if Dansby Swanson, if he does go number one, is, is going to be a, a real steep discount, because I think he could go two or three pretty easily, and, and, and he has that as a kind of fallback position. And I get the impression, I don't know if you've heard this also, that Houston and Colorado both want him, it sounds like, maybe more than Arizona does. Like, I've I've, I've heard strongly for a while that those two teams really like those two players. Uh, I've heard Colorado's GM and uh, owner have been involved with talking to Swanson and kind of doing some background and all that, and... There may be a chance there for the, yeah, for the advisor to say, hey, maybe you're trying to offer me, you know, six and change at one. I could get seven at two and I could blow up your whole draft if you don't sign me there. Uh, so, you know, maybe that'll be able to float them down if, you know, they call the bluff. Cause especially at one, when you're expecting to cut a couple million off of that, uh, if you get a guy that's going to be a problem or he's going to end up signing for a million more than you wanted to sign him for, that changes all of your picks. And by the time you realize that, you may have already made all of your picks. So there may be a little right. a little extra power at those top couple picks to dictate the price if you're in demand like Swanson is. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, I sense that too. So, I mean, I, I, you know, I, think, I don't think he'll get 8.6, but I don't think you can just assume – uh, okay, you know, we can give him seen and that'll work because you're exactly right. I mean, Houston has the second pick and the fifth pick. So, I mean, I don't think they would add to the $7.4 million they have it to. But, you know, they'd be in position to pay Dansby Swanson more than $6 million. If, you know, and, and we're just, you know, more kind of guessing here. I haven't heard that that's what Arizona's going to do. But, you know, if they try to take a hard line, 
then I don't think Swanson just has to take it, figuring you know that's the only team that's going to pay him. I think there's other teams that can pay him. Well, and I there's a, a general conspiracy whenever because uh, it seems like there's a general consensus that next year's draft looks like it'll be better than this year, and obviously a year out there's a margin for error with that. And once you mention that, the internet conspiracy theory people love to say, "Oh, who's going to punt their pick? Like, is the top tier you know ends at seven this year? So the team picking eighth, they're going to just pick a guy they don't want so they can get you know the ninth pick next year, and what'll be a better draft." And I don't think we're ever going to see any team do that. I can't see a scenario where that will ever happen. Have you – has people sort of casually mentioned that next year's draft looks pretty good? Because uh, I've, I've had some conversations where that topic comes up, and I'm kind of curious what you've heard. Yeah, no, I, I think it, it looks good. I think it's definitely better than this year. I think you could you could easily make the argument at the top of the draft. You know, we were talking about how you just – you know, we basically lost off the top of the draft. So the top ten picks aren't a typical top ten picks. Yeah, you could make a case that the same pick next year would be better, but I'm with you 100%. The only time I ever hear anybody talk about punting picks, it's from fans. I've never heard teams suggest they would do that. It's, it's you know, waiting an extra year on the player, it's not worth it. Um, and there's no guarantee. You don't know what's going to happen next year. I mean, shoot, you might not even have the same job the next year. So, I mean, I do think, you know, like where the Diamondbacks took Barrett Lau because they didn't like what the physical showed, and, you know, the 2011 draft looked pretty good. At that point, it made more sense to take the the seventh pick in 2011 rather than you know sign Barrett Lauchs for a drastically reduced rate. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, I, I don't think anybody is going to pick you know somebody with the idea of not signing them. Uh, I think that'd also be grossly unfair if you did that too, unless it was a guy who had zero intention of signing. And I don't know if those guys really truly exist. I think everybody's probably signable for the right price. Um, you know, I think it's more a case if, if you took a guy and then you didn't like what the physical showed, then maybe you, you'd think about it hard. But nobody's going to go into this thinking, I'm going to take this guy not to sign him. Uh, yeah, and I, uh, I mentioned in my mock draft there was a uh, director in the top ten that told me, you know, I'm not going to pump my pick. I like the other guys this year. But if I have, you know, a verbal deal with a guy for $4 million, and then all of a sudden he comes in and says he wants five and a half and won't change his tune, this will give me a little more peace of mind to go to next year, especially if that, you know, director has some job security to be able to do that. There's, you know, there's a little extra incentive to do that. And then there's, like we also said, there's that incentive in the top couple picks where you're definitely going to save some money where the player has a little more uh, control over what the team can do with their other picks than maybe the player at seven or eight where everyone's kind of signing for slot or a little below and it's a little little less negotiating going on. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I mean, although that said, I mean, I don't think there's too many situations where a guy, I mean, if you're picking at the very top of the draft, you usually have the, the, the deals nailed down before you pick the guy. And even the agent, I think if an agent had a player who, who wound up his offer from 4 million to 5 million after the fact, the agent would be horrified too. So it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think it's, I guess the best way to put it is it would be easier to walk away from your guy this year than it would in a typical year. So uh, another you mentioned earlier, and you hear it all the time that you know there isn't uh, if, when when scouts say there isn't a lot of talent, they say it's because we signed the guys out of high school. So the college sort of high upside talent isn't going to be there this year, and usually it then follows that the the up the middle guy, so like the shortstop, isn't going to be there because that guy signs out of high school if he can play shortstop. This year, there's a crazy amount of college shortstops in all of the top couple rounds. Do you have any sense to why that happened, or does it just seem like an anomaly? Well, I think it's more of an anomaly. I mean, I, the thing is, these guys were identified out of high school. I mean, yeah. I think if if Anthony Swanson would have signed for second or third round money out of high school, 
and it was, he made a good decision not to, he would have been signed. There were teams that liked him that high. You know, Alex Bregman, you know, had a, well, I think it was what, a broken finger as a high school senior, but the Red Sox loved him, and they loved Carson Fulmer. They drafted him both. He just wasn't signable away from LSU, but I mean, I think if he would have signed for second or third round money, he would have been done. You know, Richie Martin, uh, you know, he was known out of high school. You know, I think there were some questions on the bat. I mean, so it's, you know, not like these guys. Yeah, Mikey White was also a guy out of high school. Yeah, Mikey White was a guy. You know, I don't think Blake Trahan was necessarily that type of guy. I don't think Kevin Newman was necessarily that type of guy. But, you know, Kyle Holder, I don't think he was necessarily that type of guy. But, Simmons, you know, at least David the, Fletcher. Yeah, there's a couple more. Yeah, you know, the, the, the two guys, the two main guys, you know, who could go one-two in the draft in Swanson and Bregman, it's not like those guys came out of nowhere. I just think those were two high school guys that, that got away. And, you know, that makes a... Uh, that makes this draft, you know, God, imagine this draft. If you didn't have those two guys in it, it would look even thinner at the top. Yeah, that'd be a tough one. Uh, do you feel like you have a better, worse, same feel for the sort of top 10, 15 picks uh, mock draft-wise at this point than you do compared to other years? Yeah, I think it's about the same. I mean, I mean, shoot, we all got used to with the Astros having the number one pick the last three years and not knowing for sure who was going to go number one. I don't think anything's definite with Arizona right now. Um, but I, I just, you know, it, it's nice to get all the picks right if you can. But I, I really think the best you can really hope for, I mean, you do a bunch of mock drafts, is in your final mock draft, if you lay out two or three names for the teams in the top 10 or 15 picks, you hit on 80% of them. Now, now I'm going to call you out on this, Kyle. In your last mock draft, yep. I don't know, you're listing like 15 guys for teams that are picking like ninth. <laughs> It's like, come on! Like, it's like, why don't you just let? Well, yeah, it's like you get, you got to do better. I'm not giving you credit if you go get one of the 15 right for the Cubs. But I, I, I mean, don't you feel like in general, though? I mean, you're never going to get all the picks right. But if you, I feel good if I feel like, okay, I laid out two or three scenarios and, and I got 80 percent of the the top 15 picks right. Yeah, that, that's what I'm going for. We've talked about before that the mock draft is more an avenue to spread information rather than to necessarily get the picks right, especially with the early ones. And I actually, I. I figured somebody would say that. I don't think I think you were the first one actually to point out how I've mentioned like eighteen names with the Cubs, but it was to serve the point of they've been tied to so many names. I have no idea what they want. Like I, I thought I knew at one point early in the spring when it was two or three names there. Like oh, that's the guys they want. And now they've been tied with so many players. Steve Epstein's been seen scouting three or four players the last month or so. It's those. Yeah, I think them and Texas are the two teams where you have a bunch of names, and I think I know the guys the Cubs like, but there's so many in the mix. I don't know. And with Texas, I'm not even sure who they like. Like I, I think they like the players that are going to go in front of them, and they're not going to get a chance at, but of the ones that I think will be there, I have no idea what they prefer. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, my best guess as of now, uh, I think the three shortstops go ahead of them. I don't know who to give them. I mean, I'm, I, I guess if I, I got to write a mock draft in about, uh, you know, I guess 24 hours from now, hopefully I'll be done with my mock draft, so I'll be ready for Friday, but like I guess as of right now... I, I might give him Dylan Tate, but I don't. I don't have any confidence that that's a particularly insightful pick. Yeah, and I've also or heard... insightful choice. I mean, but I mean, I have no no feel for what they do there either. Yeah, and I, I've heard conflicting information that they'll go sort of with their normal tendencies, or that it's more influenced to be a college guy, and that John Daniels is a little more involved. And I've heard both things, and I don't even know. Same thing. One of those I've heard, you know. I've heard, you know, athletes, yeah, you could see Das Cameron maybe. I've heard, no, they want a college guy if the three shortstops are gone. Well, if it's a college guy, I don't think it's a position player. I, I can't see Benintendi or Hap going that high. Um, 
And so then it's an arm, but which arm? You know, the, the top three arms in this draft are college pitchers who you could reasonably say could very well wind up relievers. I, I don't know which of those guys I prefer. I mean, Tate was a hot name a month ago, but as he's piled up more innings than he's, than he's pitched in his life, his stuff hasn't been as crisp. And usually, you know, you're going to go in the top five. Usually those guys finish strong rather than, and then finish on a downturn. So I'd say, it's, yeah, I'll be getting, you know, th- th- that's the perils of doing a mock draft. When we get to four, uh, the, the guesswork's really going to start beginning there. So I guess the last thing I want to get to, which I feel like uh, will be a big story in the second half of the first round, is all the injured pitchers. Uh, so I thought I'd run down them real quick and just see, I guess, if we have the same or differing information about, uh, do you think they are an ongoing, multiple years from now, injury risk, and where do you think they go? Uh, so we'll start with Colby Alley. What do you got on him? Well, I was going to say with all these guys, <laughs> where I think they'll go is basically guesswork because you, you've seen this too. The teams that picked those guys, except for last year when I think we all had a pretty good sense that the Jays really like Jeff Hoffman, nobody ever says, hey, we're going to take that guy because there's usually it's a team of multiple picks and they're wondering, can we take him with our second pick instead of the first? Uh, so like, I don't think we're going to know where anything is going until we hear the name called on draft day. That, that's how it was with Giolito. Uh, you know, Fetty... And we all could speculate, hey, you know, the, the Nationals have taken injured guys, but nobody knew for sure the Nationals were taking Fetty until they did. So that said, with Allard, <laughs> I think uh, he might be the – well, this is going to sound crazy. I, on one hand, I feel like he might be the least risky of the four pitchers I think you're going to ask me about here from an injury standpoint. But that said, there were durability concerns about him because of his size coming into the year. Because he's not a big guy, and he's got a stress reaction in his back. And uh, you know, there's a, a draft writer who you and I both know and respect. Who the other day in a mock draft wrote, "I don't see why teams would have concerns about a stress reaction." Well, why wouldn't they have concerns? I mean, pitchers need a healthy back. He's not a big guy. He hasn't pitched in. Two plus months, he's not going to throw for be able to throw for him before the draft. <laughs> All that's a concern. So, uh, you know, Colby Allard, I, I think he probably could go the highest of the four guys you're going to ask me about. But I don't know. I mean, I could see him going maybe in the late teens. How about you? Yeah, I was going to say like 15 to 25 area. And, uh, I guess the other thing I had heard, which uh, I'm not sure everybody knows, is apparently he had a back issue earlier in his high school career, which some teams that were with him, like on scout teams and stuff, are aware of, and some other ones you just sort of heard it and didn't know if that was true or not. And he also was sounds like people expected, uh, you know, a month ago that he would be on the mound at this point, and he's not. And so I know some teams in the top half of the first round that were thinking about taking him told me, we can't draft a guy that's not going to throw at all before the draft. Like, we have to have some idea what's going to be coming out of his hand. And I think that moved him from, you know, maybe going like, you know, 10 or 12 or 13 to, you know, at 15 at best. And yeah, I would guess like late teens into the 20s. And I think, I mean, it's, I, I don't know what his asking price is, but his UCLA commit, who, like you said, hasn't thrown, I think it, it's hard to take a guy. I, like, You'd have to be totally convicted, and it's not, you know, if he were three inches taller, maybe it'd be a little bit easier, but that's a tough one. Like, any of these guys we're going to talk about, I think they all probably get hit on by, by teams with multiple picks toward the second half of the first round. But if any of them didn't go in the first round because teams were more alarmed, you know, they're going to have access to much more medical information than you or I are. 
I, I can see none of the, you know, all these guys falling out of the first round depending on what the, what the teams make of the medicals. And, and I do think the majority of teams, their team doctors are conservative when it comes to taking medical risks in the draft. I, I think you, you have teams that are much more conservative than they are aggressive. Well, yeah, so I guess uh, we've, we've got all of the, uh, all of the uh, qualifiers out of the way. So Matchwella, uh, where, where, would, where, would you, where would you guess he's going to go? <laughs> no idea again. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I think every one of us who writes a mock draft, you know, we, we, we give one of the injured guys to the Dodgers because <laughs> they got a good major league team. They still have a couple of huge studs in their farm system. Jose De Leon's looking great too. They're going to go nuts, go nuts internationally yeah. so they can, you know, maybe take more risk in the draft. They have multiple picks. So, I mean, I guess, you know, for, for him, maybe I'll say high end, maybe 24, but, you know, the, the, this is not Hoffman and Fetty where you say it's Tommy John and guys come back from it. I mean, even before the Tommy John, you know, he's got spondylosis, which is back condition. You know, we just talked about this Colby Allard, you know, you're, and he's a big guy. You know, and you need your back. You need to be able to bend over if you're pitching. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, it's a concern. There's not much track record on this guy. I think he pitched four innings in the Cape one year. He, he's never pitched, I don't think, more than 60 innings between the before the Tommy John, there were huge concerns about lack of track record in the back and, and, and you know, questions on the durability. That said, the guy's healthy. He looks really, really good. He could have been the number one pick in the draft. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, it's, you know, you got Tommy John. Uh, you know, I have no idea. It's, you know, and again, the factor we also don't know on on these guys, and generally this thing gets kept pretty quiet, is what's he going to ask for? I mean, this is a guy line for six million dollar bonus coming into the year. You know, is he going to look at it like, you know, I don't want to be a fourth year, a fourth year junior or senior next year and have no leverage? Does he sign for two million if that's what he gets offered? I, I don't know. Well, where do you think he goes? Yeah, I, w- I would assume he goes in the 20s. I think the upside is high enough that when you get down that low, the guys you're comparing him to obviously don't have sort of 1-1 potential. And uh, I had him on the podcast a couple days ago, and I think I think when people uh, see the sort of Duke education, talk to him, hear how smart he is, hear how the, you know, according to sort of him and his camp, the back thing is a non-issue at this point, that it was, it was a problem, and then they figured out the solution, and now it's not something. And that it was just. But, but I'll be honest on that. I'd not to cut you off. But be honest on that. What else are they going to say? Well, yeah, I mean, you didn't get, we didn't get to see him because of the elbow. Didn't get to hold up over a whole spring. So, I, I mean, I I know that's. I mean, and I, I mean, I would say this exact same thing if I was in his shoes. But if I'm a team, I, I have no way of knowing if if that's really the case. Yeah, and yeah, but I. Hey, I guess my case is that I think there are teams in the 20s that will look at him, and I think somebody will take him in the 20s uh, just be, just because of the upside. And it, I think it almost helps him that there hasn't been a lot seen, so you can't really pick him apart because you can kind of – all the looks this spring, he was basically saying his elbow was barking a little bit. So you can almost throw all that out the window, and if he had one good look you know, last spring, somebody ran into him or something, obviously it's going to be – Limited, uh, you're not gonna have cross checkers in last spring seeing a, you know, a sophomore that's not eligible, but I, I don't know, I, I feel like he's got enough, uh, enough upside that somebody will roll the dice in the 20s. I, I, I think he could go there, but I'll disagree with you a little bit. I, I think he can, you know, I, I forget what phrase you use, so like, 
you know, he kind of gets a pass for this year. But I think the, I think this spring was more important to him than just about any pitch anybody who could go in the first round because people really hadn't seen him like gotten extended looks at him and he, and he didn't hold up. You know, and like I said. You know, not only did he blow out his elbow, he didn't get to prove to you that the back isn't going to be an issue. So, yeah. I don't know. I I think he's going to be a tough guy for a lot. Of uh, but yeah. I agree. I think he could go. I think he could go in the twenties. But you know, with all these guys, like if he's looking, I, I think he could go in the twenties if he's going to sign for what what's going to happen in the twenties. Uh, you know, but if for some reason he or any of these guys is looking to get paid, you know, closer, you know, split the difference between where they are now and what they could have made, I think it becomes tougher. But we'll, we'll see. I just, I've talked to a lot of teams about him, and, uh, well, I'll put it this way. I mean, again, I, I think the team that wants him would lay low, but uh, even before he got, there were a lot of teams saying this guy's got to prove something to me this spring, and he wasn't able to. Yeah, so I guess the least injured of these guys would be Nate Kirby, and I guess may have also the most track record of all these guys. So you would think the injury would impact him the least, but it sounds like he was, you know, a little iffy the weeks leading up to that injury and didn't leave a good taste in people's mouths. Yeah, I mean, his stuff was down, which I guess you can attribute to the injury. I mean, I've, you know, I haven't seen medical reports on these guys, so I don't know what we're looking at. I've... Yeah, it's weird. You know, there was talk that, you know, maybe he'd be able to pitch in the regional last weekend, which he wasn't. There's talk that maybe if they advanced to this weekend, he could pitch. I have been too busy doing a bunch of other things to dig in whether that's the case. But, I mean, I've also, and again, I haven't seen the medical report. I've also had one team think that they think it's more serious than just a strain. So, again, I mean, this is, we're speculating without knowing the medical reports. I mean, people are going to have to look at that report and, uh, yeah, I mean, if it's if it's just a strain, I guess that would be the the least concerning of any of these guys. But until you see the medical report, who knows? And again, it's tough to take a guy when he didn't pitch for a number of weeks. So, um, you know, we'll see. I, I like Nathan Kirby. I mean, we had him you know, towards the top of our draft list. He's a tough one for me just because the one game. I really saw him pitch. He was terrible. It was the College World Series game where his control fell apart all of a sudden. And he was struggling with his command and control this spring, too. Um, that said, you know, he's left-handed. He's got good stuff. Juan, you know, he looks like he could be a number two starter. But, uh, you know, that's a tough one, too. I mean, I think if you were lining these guys up for ceiling, he would be behind Aiken and Machuela. But, you know, I think with all these guys, I think he could go in the 20s. If there's a team that's convinced that this isn't an ongoing problem going forward, that it's just a strain and he'll be okay, but who knows? I don't know as a reporter if we're really going to get a lot of information on that, you know, from teams before the draft. I mean, teams are, I mean, I think you find the same thing. Teams will be pretty open talking about the draft, but, you know, a lot of them get a lot more reticent when it comes to talking about medical reports with these guys. In depth on the medical reports on these guys. They may tell you we're out on the guy. But a lot of them are hesitant to say, hey, this is exactly how our doctor interpreted it. Yeah, and the last one, I won't even, uh, Aiken, I won't even ask you where you think he's going to go. Because I, I think on the little draft board I put it today, I have a range for each player. And I think his range I have 9 to 47. Like, I have literally no idea where he's going to go. Uh, what, have you heard anything about the medical conclusive in any way? Or is it still just in the teams have it and they haven't really said anything, uh, even sort of off the record mode? It's the it's it's more innuendo. I mean, you know, going back to last year when Evan Drellick at the Houston Chronicle reported, you know, it was a, a ligament abnormality 
you know, and I guess it's a smaller, skinnier ligament, and I heard, you know, not, not you know, confirmed from anybody to where I could go ahead and, and write it definitively uh, that, uh, you know, when he had the surgery, that, that that was the case, but, like, nobody knows for sure. You know, there there is, I, I think you reported this, and I'd heard it too, that, you know, there's this extra layer of clearance needed to, to look at the report, although... You know, I assume that when the, the GM looks at it, he'll disseminate it to the scouting director. Um, but I think I think the family is very sensitive about any medical information out as to what exactly is going on with that. And I think the teams are trying to respect that. Uh, and so I don't know if we're going to get a definitive thing. I mean, well, let's assume, and again, this is just an assumption, that there is a smaller or thinner ligament What's the what's our history on that? I don't know of any you know a number of of cases like that where you could say okay that means he's more likely to get re-injured sooner or the rehab can take longer. What does it mean? We don't know. Maybe it means nothing. Maybe maybe it does mean that he's got a longer road back. But it, it does, I guess, in a more general sense, from what I can gather. I don't think teams are just casually saying, oh, it's TJ, he'll come back like they did with Hoffman and Fetty. I think there is a great turn, uh, even without specific information. And, and does, does that jibe with what you've heard, I, I guess? I mean, it's, yeah. this is the most, can we equivocate anymore on these four guys? <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I, I mean, I hate talking about medical specifics without actually being seen a report or, I'm not a doctor, seen I saw the report, it would know, but I mean, who knows? And, and like, you know, I, I would be surprised. I know this is might be the last year they're picking this high, this and that. I, I just if the Cubs took him at nine, I, I, that would surprise me. But who knows? I mean, maybe their medical guys don't have a problem with whatever the report shows. Or yeah, maybe of those nineteen players they've been tied to, they somehow all go in the first eight picks, and then they're forced to take it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean that's what I was going to say. I mean, I think they pick high enough. To where there'll be a guy they like, there isn't a question of it. Um, and you don't, you know, who has a pretty high ceiling too. I mean, I, you know, would I have taken Aiken number one last year? I would. You know, if Brady Aiken was completely healthy and there were no concerns, I think he'd be the number one prospect this year. Um, but I, I just think at nine, you can take with less risk and a high ceiling. Rather than you know, having to you know, take the risk on Brady Aiken, and, and I say all that, I don't even know how to quantify the risk. But I, I, my sense is, from teams, they, they feel there's more risk here than the typical TJ, and, and I, I think he, again, you know, you, you, I put him with the Dodgers in my first mock. I think he goes to multiple pick team, you know, somewhere in the, in the lower third of the first round. Yeah, and I've also had teams mention Phil Bickford and Kyle Funkhouse that they'd like to see those medicals because there's obviously some buzz about why did Bickford's deal fall apart, and it seems to be consensus that it was something to do with the physical. But obviously he's he's pitched fine, the stuff looks fine, but you obviously want to see if there's something because obviously Aiken appeared to have an issue while he was still pitching fine, and then Funkhauser's thrown about the same velocity for three two or three years, and then all of a sudden that disappeared in the last couple of weeks, and people are curious. But I'm told the uh, his advisor is not an advisor that provides medical, so now no one's going to get to see it. So now I have no idea how that affects him, or if he's going to have a high number, or if he's planning on going back for senior year, or maybe he has a you know great start in super regionals and somebody looks great. Like I, I have no idea how that's going to go. Whereas Bickford, I feel like he'll go somewhere you know around fifteen to twenty-two or something like that. I have no idea what happens with Funkhauser. 
Yeah, you know, I think Funkhauser, I mean, for guys I talked to, I think he threw a lot better and kind of, you know, after that, like, four or six-week slump, he threw a lot better in his regional game. Uh, I do think if he throws like that again in, in their super regional, I think he'll probably go, I think he'll go in the teens if he does again. Um, I think people feel better about him. You know, it's funny on him, I, I never really bought him as a guy who, who felt to me like a top-five pick, although it seemed like he'd be a top-five pick maybe heading into April or in early April. But I do think in this draft, if you could get him in the teens, and teams are always on the lookout for, for collectors, uh, I think that would probably be a pretty good value. And same thing on Bickford. I mean, I love to know definitively what happened. I, I never, I, I heard, you know, a failed physical would make some sense because, uh, you know, I don't know what other scenario that the, the Jays, unless they were just hardballing him, would announce the day before the deadline that they didn't think they'd sign him, you know, that they weren't going to be able to kind of, you know, definitively. Um, but I've also had people involved in those negotiations who, who said that wasn't the case. Um, you know, I've heard different scenarios. Who knows? Um, but I think he's thrown well enough, you know, last summer in the Cape Cod and this spring to where you feel pretty good about him being healthy. And same with you. I think he goes after Funkhauser because I think more teams believe he's a um, – you know, chance that he's a reliever. Now, I don't think Funkhauser is necessarily going to be a one or two, but I, I think you can look at Funkhauser and feel pretty good about projecting him as a number three. Um, so I think those guys are both probably okay, especially Funkhauser pitches well. But I mean, shoot, there's probably guys, Kylie, there's probably guys that we don't realize there are medical concerns about. And on draft day, we're going to be like, why'd that guy last till the second or third round? And we'll find out there was a medical deal with him. Yeah, I was actually told, I won't say who, but I was told the high school pitcher that people have in the top two rounds, one team said, might not be on our board, and then I mentioned that to another team, they're like, we had no problem with him, and I was like, well, this is going to be fun. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you know, you look at MRIs, I mean, you can interpret them, I mean, I think you can look at just about any pitcher's MRI and, and say, hey, you know, uh, this concerns me, there's some wear and tear there, because there's going to be wear and tear with any pitcher, and then on the flip side, yeah, you look, you know, going way back when, you know, Mark Pryor had these clean mechanics and looked like you draw him up and he couldn't stay healthy. And, you know, Kyle Zimmer, I, I know that people knew he had, I guess, a, a bone chip issue before he got drafted. I mean, Kyle Zimmer was this great athlete and low mileage on his arm, and he hasn't been able to stay healthy at all and really do much of anything for the Royals. So, uh, you know, I, I think there's teams that are, you know, like I was saying before, just super conservative when it comes to pitchers and, you know, we'll, we'll see. You know, the, the, the medical part of this is always very tough. And like I said, I, I hate speculating because, you, you know, we don't get to see the records. Even if we did, I, I don't know about you, Kylie, but I'm not a, I don't have a medical degree. So you just kind of go on what teams say. And I think sometimes there's maybe a little gamesmanship where, where teams definitely want to use medical records as leverage against a player, either to, you know, reduce his bonus or maybe hope he falls to him. So it's, it's, it's a really, you know, sketchy area to try to delve, try to delve into. But at the same time, if you're trying to figure out where guys are going to go in the draft, you, you have to try to delve into it. It's, uh, so there, there, there's some more equivocation. Yeah, and I can already imagine if somebody had just, you know, uh, couriered me all of the medical records for Brady Aiken, I would just hold it up to a light and be like, I don't know what this is, but I'm told this is what you're supposed to do with an x-ray is hold it up to the light. So. Yeah, exactly. You tell me what this is. Uh, well, thanks for your time. Uh, last thing I want to ask you is you have a long-running tradition of doing a you-pick-your-own-team. Are you going to be doing that again this year? I will. i got to figure out when I'm going to. It's, I, 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 will, I will confess, although I, I do this with 100% honesty, I do not do it as the draft is running because I don't. Yeah, and I've not even picked my draft slot at random this year either. But, like, on day two when Jonathan Mayo and I are, are trying to break down every pick around 3 through 10 when we have a minute to do each, there's just no way I can do it. 
that quickly. I, ideally, I would love to have that story up by the end of the week. Um, and the fun thing is, even after going to the podcast, it, it does keep me honest. I have no idea. Like, like if I'm like, okay, I want player X. Like, oh, he went around before I was going to. Just uh, it, it, it all happens so fast, and it's a blur. And I, I guess I'm getting older, and my memory's not what it used to be. But uh, I, I will not have that story ready uh, Tuesday night. But I, I love doing that and going back and taking a look at it and seeing who I picked. And, and speaking of how bad my memory is, uh, for life, I cannot remember who I picked number one last year. <laughs> yeah, I I can't. I was actually going to say, do you have like a favorite guy like in the in the twenties or thirties that you'd you'd want to get if either the first or second round? Or have you have you not thought that much about it? I I, I haven't thought that much about it. And I usually pick in the top five or the bottom five. Uh, so I will, I had not even picked my random, uh, my random, uh, draft slot, uh, to, to figure out where I'd be picking, but, uh, I'm proud if I, if I, I can't find the story on my, uh, on my computer as to who I even picked last year. I heard somewhere, uh, but I cannot, <laughs> that's terrible. I can't even tell you who I picked number one last year. If a scouting director couldn't do that, man, they'd be out immediately. Hey, my guy. Um, so, uh, man, I, it's like I'm, I'm even looking in the folder where that story should be, and uh, I cannot, uh, I cannot for the life of me find it. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, I just did a Google search and I can't. I, find I don't it. know maybe, who I maybe, picked. Maybe it's been scrubbed. Maybe it's like a threat. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know where I necessarily find it on the web, but I, I should have that file. I probably removed it from my computer and put it on a, uh, a backup disk. Like I can remember, I took, uh, I took Jason Hicks. Uh, but I can't, I, yeah, that's terrible. I don't know who I picked even. Oh, yeah, here we go. I did find it. Here we go. I picked, I picked, <laughs> I picked Kyle Freeland, who hasn't pitched yet this year, as far as I know, so I'm not feeling too good about that. But, um, yeah. I, mean, I think he'll, we'll see what he is in the long run. I picked, I picked eight. I picked the same guy the Rockies did. Um, but I'm looking at this, oh, yeah, I don't mind this. I took, I took Forrest Wall with the same pick the Rockies did in the sandwich round, like that. Yeah. I took Sean Reed Foley. I feel good about that. Yeah. Um, Took Jackson Reitz in the third round. I'm fine with that. Uh, and I don't know if I have. I mean, rounds four through ten. I mean, I'll trace Lore, John Curtis, Greg Allen, Trenton Kemp, Dean Dietz, AJ Venegas, Richard Frigatano. I mean, it's, it's probably too early to expect much returns from those guys. But that, I don't mind going Freeland, Wall, Reed Foley, and Jackson Reitz. I feel decent about that. Yeah, I mean, hey, Jim Cowles loves upside. I think that much is obvious from those picks. Yep, I'll, uh, I'll spend. It's like. Uh, uh, you know, and I'm looking back here. I took Daniel. I took Daniel Norris. Uh, I feel good. You know, in past drafts, Jason Hayward. Uh, you know, I, I signed. Uh, who did I sign out of high school? I signed Mikey Mycock out of high school. Yeah, he's decent. You know, I, I signed Garen Chikini out of high school. He's not hitting this year. Andrew Suzak was another guy I took. It's like I've had a decent record. I don't think. Uh, hey, probably. I, and I'm not going to compare myself to a real scouting director, but I think when you look at anybody who does this or really any team making picks, it bounces out. You have uh, John Manuel, Baseball America, still gives me a hard time for taking John Zerang with my first round pick in 2004, <laughs> my second fake draft. Uh, so, like, yeah, I, I deserve it for that one. But uh, yeah, you, you have your hits, you have your misses. Um, Brett Sinkfield didn't work out too well with me, but I bounced back with Jason Hayward the next year. I shall be that. That's a good-looking pick. Uh, I could go on and on. Well, <laughs> I'll stop with this one. The year if I took Shelby Miller, I took Zach Cox and, and Kyle. I don't know about you, but I thought Zach Cox was going to hit for sure. I thought he had some power. I thought he'd be able to play third base, and 
that didn't go too well. So yeah, it's, that one, uh, that yeah I had some very good picks and not some good ones. I can tell you the way to make a scouting director mad uh, is to say, well, technically, if you want to sort of grade yourself and see how good you're doing, uh, you would just pick whoever was the best available player at your pick on any of the sort of media ones, and that's technically like what a monkey could do. And I had uh, I had a guy that works in analytics for a team tell me we did that study and we just gave you know instead of our pick we gave us the uh, whoever was sort of the consensus highest pick off the internet as like a you know a control and he said uh, that you know that pick is uh, if you were to only take that pick would be sort of fifteenth overall out of the thirty teams as far as how good the draft was because that's sort of average and he goes so if you think about it if you're anywhere below about 20th on like a five-year basis as a scouting director it means literally a monkey (laughs) would have done better than you would and if you explain that to them they really don't like hearing that (laughs) yeah well the thing is too though it's tough you know people do this type of thing like where they just take draft and they don't hold themselves to a budget now like if you just let me pick the best player you know i could you know then then i'd be blowing blowing my draft pool and i'd be way over you know, the 15%. But so I always try to budget myself and make sure I can sign my guys. But it's, I do think the consensus, if you, if you look at the people who, who probably work the hardest at this stuff, the, the top three or four media lists, and like, I, I don't know how you build your list, but I know when I was at Baseball American out MLB, it's not just a personal preference list. It's time to reflect the consensus of what we're hearing in the industry. And also, we're ranking them not based on where guys are going to get drafted or what the sunability is. It's like, who's the best player in the long run? But um, I think if you look at the serious list and consensus out of that, since it's already some of those lists are building a consensus of what the industry is thinking, too, the consensus is, you know, usually pretty middle of the pack. You know, you're, you know, yeah. I, I will say when you see the shocking picks that, you know, the team, you know, one team takes a guy a lot higher than the, it seemed like the industry was on him, most of the time that guy doesn't turn out too well in the long run. Yeah, it sounds like a threat when you say it like that. Pick someone on my list or you're going to get fired. But. No, I don't mean like that, but no, I mean, if you, I did a column on it a couple of years ago, and most of the time, if, 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 you know, some team first round pick who the consensus had him as a second or third rounder, you know, most of the time, the consensus, you know, 29 teams were right, and the team that took him the first round wasn't. Yeah, no, I agree. There's the consensus for a reason, and that's probably a whole separate interesting issue to, work out with maybe how the consensus is, uh, maybe with, you know, guys at the double-A level, maybe teams that, you know, can diverge from the consensus, maybe they have a little better track record. But, yeah, it does seem in the draft, when you go way off the board, uh, you're probably a little lower than average odds uh, with that pick. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Uh, all right, well, yeah, we've uh, we've taken way too much of your time. Uh, the hockey game is uh, getting toward the end, so I'll let you get back to it and uh, – I will be expecting a few phone calls pretty soon, and I'm guessing you will as well. So, uh, thanks for your time. And, yeah, definitely. Uh, well, let me know when. Yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. I got caught up here. I was I was listening to you and watching the hockey game. But I was going to okay. say, uh, let me know when it's posted, and I'll uh, I'll tweet out a link. And I and I hope right now the score is one nothing uh, Tampa Bay, and I and I hope uh, that, that the score is uh, reversed in Chicago's favor by the time this game is over. So I'm hoping for two one Blackhawks. Uh, by the time this is posted, we will know the result. But right now, there is uh, I, I'm watching uh, with great tension. I love watching the Hawks, and uh, this should be a good series. Well, who's your? I, I know we're both kind of biased to areas and where we've lived, but uh, who, who, who's your pick in this series? I'll go with the Lightning. That's, uh, but I'll admit, Lightning I in how many games? Uh, in six. Uh, but okay, I have watched the Hawks in seven. Yeah. Okay. So you're gonna go Hawks in seven. I'll go Lightning in six. All right. Well, then maybe that'll be our that, that'll be our bet because we can't really bet about the draft. 
because uh, especially with these with these injured guys, we, we we won't even know how to bet about where they're going to go. So we'll bet about hockey instead. Well, the thing is, if you if you really want to have a better chance of nailing a mock draft, I, I really think you're almost better at not putting any of the injured guys yeah. in the first round because it's going to be it's, to some extent totally random where they're going to go. And if you do like. And I don't know. I haven't even thought about where I'm going to put these guys yet. But if I put all four of them in the first round, I'm probably getting those four picks. And then if they do go in the round, I'm probably getting the four other picks wrong where they go. So you're blowing eight picks right there out of 36. So if you, and I won't do that. I'll go where I think they're going to go. But if you really want to try to game it, you're almost better off not even putting them in your in your mock draft. Because like I said, I just think the teams that pick these guys aren't going to tip their hand until they actually pick them. Yeah, and I think I'm actually going to do at least one of the two supplemental rounds in between the first and second. To maybe give me a chance to <laughs> say like, oh, Aiken, you know, didn't go in the twenties, but I had him here at thirty-three just to sort of have everybody on the board. But that's just going to increase, you know, this is going to be more picks for me to be wrong about, really. So I don't know if I'm actually. Well, you got to go thirty-eight. Well, you can't list fifteen guys for each team, but two, you have to go thirty-six picks because those picks, twenty-nine through thirty-six, are technically first rounders. The, 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 the CBA states, baseball rules state that the the compensation for agent picks come at the end of the first round, not after the first round. So you, have, of course, have to do 36 picks. All right, so 36, and I'll limit myself to three possible uh, names for each pick. Not, not, you can't go, you can't go, I definitely think you cannot list more names than uh, picks that will go ahead of the team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, without the draft, you can play out scenarios, but you cannot go, you cannot give us 15 possibilities for the Cubs and then claim that you got them right. Well, no, I, I wouldn't say, like, if, like, Garrett really was one of the names I mentioned. If he goes there and he's just one of the names I mentioned, but not the guy I project, I wouldn't have claimed that anyway. But, because I, I usually, when I write more than one or two names, I'll try to be like, these are the two I think they're on. They've been mentioned with these guys, but I don't know if that's for real. And I would only claim if the pick I did was right, or the two guys I narrowed him down to were right. Okay, well, that's fair. That's fair. I, I definitely do think of the mocks I've seen, you, you definitely have the highest, Names mentioned per team ratio, so uh, you got a little the playing field and cut that down a little bit. I I will play by uh, team rules uh, or by the house rules, and uh, yeah, I I like to show my work. I guess I guess that's my weakness. No, I'm the same way. We we've had discussions like. Uh, and I, I, I hate a mock draft in football where they tell you, okay, this is who I think each team's picking. Well, I want to know the different scenarios so I can kind of play along. And, and we didn't have that discussion, you know, did you want to have the mock draft up quicker and not have, and have it be fewer words and just have who you think each team's picking? Well, I don't, I don't think that gives you as much information. And I, I know what you mean. It's like if I, like, I want all these calls and texts that I've done. I want to be able to, to, to ferret that information out and have that out there. But, uh, uh, if I got it, if I wrote everything I, I've heard or heard rumored, I'd probably have like a, a ten thousand word mock draft, and that doesn't work either. So well, most of what I write is ten thousand words. But I can guarantee you, my last mock will be maybe a sentence per pick. I, I think I've done the long version a couple times now. I think I'm just going to start doing the short version now. Yeah, let's, I got I got one more long version. I'll probably do a terser version uh, that'll come out Monday morning. All right, well, Jim Cowles, thanks for your time, and uh, have a fun weekend. <laughs> Yeah, you too, Kylie. Good luck. <laughs> yep, have a good one. Bye. Okay, bye.